You are listening to the Body Shameless series podcast, episode three. I am your host, Molly Fitzpatrick, a writer, stylist, and graduate student. The Brave series of this podcast features women that have survived severe eating disorders and are now sharing their stories and giving a voice to women in the midst of a body image battle. These women are on a mission to eradicate the stigma associated with eating disorders by creating support communities and using media in a better way to promote a healthy body image. These women talk about the negative impact of media on body image and why this issue matters. Why should I care? Um, Well, I'll I'll throw out a few facts and figures. one, um, this this is an issue that uh, that well, I'll throw out facts and figures in a in a moment. One, body image issues and food issues thrive in shame and secrecy. So without a conversation about it, they just fester. They just get worse. So so it's it's important to bring these conversations out because if we don't, then they they just they're like a a, a little piece of rotting something, like they just get bigger and rot further if we don't bring them into the light. Um, but but I think why should I care if you're somebody that's listening and is like, ah, body image issues, so shallow, so pretentious, so not not one of the most important things, you know, it's not world hunger or something. These These challenges are what keep people from contributing to the world. Um, every human being has gifts. And when you're when you're enwrapped in, in in body image challenges and and eating disorders and food issues, um, you don't have an ability to contribute uh, your gifts to the world, and that's that's a real loss uh, in terms of our our global community and and all of the people who could be contributing something beautiful. On this episode of the podcast, Chelsea Ruff talks about the socio-cultural causes of eating disorders the power of imagery and media, and shares her story of an eating disorder that nearly took her life at only 15 years old. As the founder and director of Eat, Breathe, Thrive, Chelsea is passionate about preventing food and body image issues and representing all bodies in media. I struggled with a a pretty severe bout of anorexia uh, in my youth. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And by pretty severe, I mean it, it, it nearly took my life. You know, I, I've said before, I think it was the darkest darkness I've, I've ever found myself in. You know, we all we all experience dark nights of the soul, and this was definitely mine. Um, it started when I was probably 10 or 11, and I didn't recover until I was 19. So it was a good decade of my life. When I was 15, actually, I, I had a stroke as a result of uh, the malnutrition that was, you know, part of the eating disorder. Uh, and I found myself at a hospital for a long time. I was in a hospital for 18 months, and that was that was really, you know, the, the godsend that I needed to to get my life back together and recover. I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version. So fast forward several years, I got into yoga. That was a an extremely extremely helpful practice in my own recovery. Um, I would never suggest that it's a miracle cure or that it's a panacea or that it's, you know, a cure for eating disorders, but it was an invaluable complement to traditional treatment for me. And so 
I was doing pretty well in my life and um, was pretty happy and had a really regular practice and um, was studying neuroscience and psychoneuroimmunology in university. And I got into researching yoga and developing um, six-week interventions for people with immune conditions. And then I got asked by an old doctor of mine to come and uh, first offer a talk and then a yoga class and then a full program to people with eating disorders. So I, I you know, I did it and I, um, I wasn't real excited about it in the beginning, to be honest. I was a little nervous about going and working with uh, people with eating disorders given that I'd struggled with one in my past and I was, mm-hmm. I was kind of scared to be like reminded of, of a dark period of my life and I was a little scared that like maybe I didn't have my stuff together enough to be doing something like that. Um, and I, I found kind of the opposite. I, I really loved, I loved and enjoyed it. I, um, I had a, a real special ability to connect with people having that experience because I'd had it myself. And, you know, one thing led to another, and a few years go by, and all of a sudden I had a nonprofit. When I started the organization, um, gosh, it was about four four years ago, I, I'd had this, I was doing, uh, I had a full-time job as a science journalist, and I was sort of doing this um, volunteer side project called Yoga for Eating Disorders, and it was basically the program that we run in Eat, Breathe, Live, but it was just me, and I was just doing it in a meeting that sort of treatment center near my house and offering it for free. Um, oh. And I, yeah, so that, that was kind of the humble beginnings of Eat, Breathe, Thrive, uh, and I called that program Yoga for Eating Disorders uh, because that's what it was, <laughs> because it was, it was a yoga-based program for people with eating disorders. And when I launched our campaign to get funding to start the nonprofit, uh, a mentor of mine reached out to me and said, you need to change your name. And I said, why should I change change the name? That's, you know, it's a clear, you know, um, specific uh, name. When somebody sees the, the, the words yoga for eating disorders, they know exactly what it's about. And she said, um, one, yoga for eating disorders is limiting. Like, you're probably not always going to work with just people with eating disorders. And she said, two, you're focusing on the pathology rather than the actual result of your programs. Um, oh. And I thought that was really good feedback. Um, so Eat, Breathe, Thrive emerged from sort of like a reflective, like, what are we really trying to help people do? Uh, what are we really, what, what do we want the end result to be? Um, and Eat, Breathe, Thrive sort of, com- cut, sort of encompasses it or at least touches on each point. It's, it's an ability to eat healthy. Uh, to, to breathe and uh, to engage in embodied practices like yoga and meditation and to have a connection with one, one's own sort of presence in their body. Uh, and then ultimately, it's, it's to thrive. Um, it's to have a life freedom uh, free of, of food and body image challenges. The cool thing is that, you know, this started with just me, but um, today we've got several dozen facilitators all around the world. We've got some in the UK. We have some in Italy. Uh, we have some in Canada, and they're spread out all over the U.S., uh, wow. and those facilitators run our programs in those settings, and our programs are uh, six-week programs um, followed by a service project in the community, and they combine yoga, meditation, and psychoeducation, so learning about how your body works and um, doing some work around, like, media literacy, um, again, to help people foster positive body image and a healthy relationship with food. So I, I see food and body image issues as um, developing kind of 
in a from a biopsychosocial uh, group of causes. So you've got biological causes in in sort of one area. So those are like genetics and uh, epigenetics and just sort of the the traits we come into the world with. You've got psychological causes like like trauma and anxiety and depression, um, and we, we tend to kind of self-soothe ourselves when, when, when we have experiences like that with, with disordered eating issues and um, body image issues, of course, go along with that. And then you've got social causes and sociocultural causes. That's, that's stuff like the media, um, the, the food industry, the diet industry, the fashion industry. Um, there, there are sort of socially sanctioned ways. Our culture and our society has a set of, of norms in terms mm -hmm. of um, what's, what's considered an ideal body. Um, right. And oftentimes when people are having a hard time in their life um, and, and not feeling happy and, and, and dealing with depression and anxiety, uh, one, one way that they often, you know, kind of reach toward um, an anecdote is by trying to change and fix their body. Uh, and those those sorts of things come from not just not just the fashion industry and food industry and, and the diet industry, but also uh, social media. I stay out of the social media conversations that are that tend to okay. be negative around body image, um, right. just because I, I don't like them. I, I find them to be really really sad. So you know, yeah. I hear a lot of uh, I hear of a lot of women who get shamed for their bodies in you know, the comment sections of articles and blogs and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I sort of just choose not to engage there. I think that the the more subtle subtle kind of um, side of body shaming is, is actually the stuff that isn't that overt. It's not, you know, some troll sitting in his, his you know, basement, you know, commenting on, on someone's, you know, uh, body parts and, and mm -hmm. you know, shaming or insulting someone else. I think the more the more subtle form of it comes uh, in in um, the bodies we choose to depict in the media and the bodies we choose not to depict the people who are invisible, so people of different abilities, uh, people of different ethnicities, older women, uh, <laughs> um, you know, men that don't fit the the gender stereotype. Um, people of different gender identities, they don't get seen at all. So it's not even that they're shamed, it's just that they're not seen and they're not represented as a standard of normality or goodness or acceptability. Um, I'm actually thinking about this a lot right now because we're, <laughs> we're putting together some educational materials and I was trying to find imagery that depicted um, a, 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 a diverse um, spectrum of bodies and of, mm -hmm. of humans, really, not just bodies, mm -hmm. but human beings. Uh, right. And I had a hard time finding what I was looking for. So I, I think to, to answer, like, a really practical answer is through imagery. Like, when you – I just got a catalog in the mail. I hate that they send me catalogs, but I just got a catalog in the mail <laughs> from a, an athletic wear line, um, and they're marketing well, so I wear yoga pants all day long. Um, <laughs> and I opened it up, <laughs> and all I saw was – Thin, tall, white women. I think we underestimate the power of imagery. Uh, mm -hmm. I think imagery is what moves people and what what subconsciously shapes their ideas about what is normal and what's ideal and what's acceptable. And so I think mm -hmm. if there's one way that, that – and we're starting to see it a little bit, um, but not just a, like, you know, curvy bodies are beautiful sort of thing. It's like, yeah – 
and so are skinny bodies, and so are tall right. bodies, and so are brown mm-hmm. bodies and yellow bodies. Mm-hmm. People often think of this as like a women's issue, and I think that it's um, body image and food challenges affect, in, in our experience, um, doing the work we do, um, affect people of all different genders and gender identities, uh, okay. affects people of all different ages people of all different mm-hmm. ethnicities, um, mm-hmm. and the, in terms of, like, uh, acute level eating disorders, the two times that we see, well, two, maybe even three times we see eating disorders uh, really flare up and uh, sometimes emerge for the first time is usually puberty uh, in the transition from um, adolescence to, to, like, college life to the early 20s sort of time. And then again, um, later in life, after pregnancy and maybe after kids leave the home. So oftentimes, oh. these issues flare up around big transitions, uh, big life transitions. I don't know that, you know, you ask why it was important to use my own, um, my own kind of story or my own experience. Um, I have to say, I didn't mean to. Um, I think that it came, it came about really organically. Um, okay. I sort of felt like a fraud if I wasn't being honest about why I was doing and the work. It's it's weird because it would take me by surprise. Like I would I would be teaching and I'd be like, you know, blah blah blah. Here's how your autonomic nervous system works, and like, you know, really coming mm-hmm. with all this great information that I thought would be helpful. And then uh-huh. somebody would ask a question uh, about you know depression or about um, hopelessness, and I would have to kind of, if I was going to answer them honestly, I would have to dig into, um, like, the, my own experience with those things. And the more I did mm-hmm. that, the more I found people responded and got better. And so mm-hmm. I think that this work has sort of pulled it out of me rather than me coming in and going, like, here, how can I use my own story to help people? It was more right. like, <laughs> it more like asked this kind of happened. And I found that the more... Um, I was honest and transparent about my own experiences, and the more I pulled authentically and, like, genuinely from those experiences rather than, like, coming in with an outside idea or coming from, like, the top down from an academic approach, the more I, like, could dig into um, my, you know, my own experience of struggling with anorexia and recovering and and all of the like the nitty-gritty of those emotions the more I could pull from that uh the more I was able to connect with the people I was trying to to support and to serve yeah so I I think that for a long time shame kept me small and it kept me in the dark and it kept me hiding um Mm -hmm. and when I was able to kind of look back at the shame and go what is it you're so scared of who is it that's under there um, mm-hmm. oftentimes those, those very things I was scared of, of being big, of being too much, of being, you know, uh, too outspoken and too talkative were, are, are now what served me, served me most in, in being able to offer something and be of service to other human beings. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my lesson. <laughs> Still learning it some days. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope this makes sense saying it, but it's, it's, it feels like the, the true answer. Um, for me, you know, I, I struggled with, with not just body image challenges, but a, a full-blown eating disorder. Um, mm-hmm. And part of part of recovering from that was actually getting through the shame of 
like moving through shame, um, both the shame of having uh, having struggled with an eating disorder, but also the shame of being all of a sudden uh, a person who took up more space in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And the lesson I learned from that. Um, in that in that process of of healing and and recovering and and really just kind of coming into myself and and coming into my fullness and and who I am as as you know an embodied creature in the world um, was that the things I was most ashamed of were were often my my biggest gifts. Um, so, for instance, like I used to be really ashamed of how outspoken I was and how opinionated and um, talkative I was, like I was the kid in school who, you know, was bossy and like got told that I talked too much, was so ashamed of my bigness. And so for me, when I feel shame about something now, I I tend to want to shine a light back at it and look at what it is I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of. Because my experience so far has been the things that I'm most ashamed of have, have brought me to my biggest gifts. Not a big advice giver, but <laughs> words words of wisdom. Um, I might encourage her to look beneath the surface. Um, for me, if I have body image challenges come up, and they don't come up very often, it's a, it's a beautiful thing about recovery. Is like you know, I don't really body shame or or get insecure about my body very often. But when I do, when I do, usually it's because there's some some feeling or emotion that I'm not dealing with, or there's something, some sort source of like shame that I'm not looking at, and my mind tends to like it's almost like an old habit or an old pattern where my mind doesn't want to feel that thing, so it, it like spits it out as I hate my belly instead. <laughs> it's like it's easier mm. to say I hate my belly or I hate my body then say, mm-hmm. I feel really lonely right now, or I feel really ashamed of what I did. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the, the, the body image issues are an indicator that there's something else going on. So if I have mm-hmm. any w- words of wisdom to share with someone else out there experiencing body image challenges, I know it seems, seems like it's about the body. I know it seems like it's you know, well, I'm just fat or, you know, there's something wrong with my hair or there's something wrong with my face or I just don't look beautiful. It's really about that. It's probably not. There's probably mm-hmm. body image challenges are nothing more than an indicator of something deeper going on. And so my, my words of wisdom would be look beyond the surface. Look look underneath and see what's really there. Uh, <laughs> why should I care? Um well, I'll, I'll throw out a few facts and figures. Uh, one, um, this this is an issue that uh, that well, I'll throw out facts and figures in a, in a moment. One, body image issues and food issues thrive in shame and secrecy. So, without a conversation about it, they just fester. They just get worse. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's important to bring these conversations out because if we don't. And they, they just, they're like a, a little piece of rotting something. Like they just get bigger and rot further if we don't bring them into the light. Um, but, but I think why should I care if you're somebody that's listening and is like, ah, body image issues, so shallow, so pretentious, so not, not one of the most important things. You know, it's not world hunger or something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
these these challenges are what keep people from contributing to the world. Um, every human being has gifts, and when you're when you're enwrapped in 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 body image challenges and and eating disorders and food issues, um, you don't have an ability to contribute uh, your gifts to the world, and that's that's a real loss. Uh, in terms of our, our global community and, and all of the people who could be contributing something beautiful. 80% of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. One in five women uh, feel dissatisfied with their bodies, and I think that's probably an understatement. And, and full-blown eating disorders are the most deadly mental illness of all psychiatric uh, illnesses. Um, so these are these are really pervasive issues that suck gifts from not just individuals but our global community. Um, mm. So I think it's important to have these conversations because it brings people out of their their isolated, lonely in in uh, uh, world that they're living in in the midst of these these challenges and into the light and into into the community and, and really into service into being able to offer their gifts in their jobs, to their kids, uh, to, to our education system, to our health system. Um, when people are, are, are immersed in food and body image challenges, they can't contribute. And that's a real loss to our world. The other thing I would add on, just because I, I assume some of your listeners are probably dealing with, with these challenges, mm -hmm. body image challenges, mm -hmm. not feeling good in their own skin, not being connected to that inner beauty you're talking about. Um, I think I would just, just you know, share that, that speaking from personal experience and also um, speaking, I think, on behalf of, of many people uh, who, who work in this community, you can you can totally get over this, and not get over, but maybe move through and transcend this. This isn't permanent. You won't always feel insecure and ashamed of your body. You can feel good in your body. And I think that's so important to, to hear and to say, because for a long time, I thought I was going to deal with this the rest of my life. I thought I was going to wake up every day and look in the mirror and just have to grit my teeth and, and get on with it because I was not born with one of those good bodies. Uh, and I don't believe that's true. I, I believe you, whoever you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what gender identity you do or don't, don't identify with, um, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter how tall, short you are, no matter what limbs you have or don't have, you can feel good in your body. I have seen it over and over and over again. And so I, I guess I would just leave you with a sense of, of hope and, and also a sense of like, hey, you're not alone. Like these are the things we don't wear on our sleeves, but so many of us feel really insecure in our own skin. Um, and, and you can transcend that. You can, you can feel good in yourself. You can feel at home in your own body, and you're not alone. This podcast is powered by Relatable Magazine, an inclusive magazine and online support community showcasing stories about a variety of women that have survived eating disorders, are breaking the boundaries of disability, and have dealt with body shaming. Relatable is passionate about giving a voice to women struggling with body image issues and using media in a new way to represent all body types, promoting body positivity, and giving a voice to the body image issues all women can relate to. Relatable hopes that you will share your voice and tell your story, because beauty is limitless, 
brave, and body shameless. Thank you for listening.